Blog Talk Radio. Hey, Joanne, how you doing? Well, bless the Lord, everybody. Bless the Lord. You are now live with the word on Wednesday. I am Pastor Winfred Burns, and I am delighted to be with you tonight. We have been exploring First Kings, and specifically what we have been doing is we have been discussing how to walk in your anointing. Um, and tonight we're going to move a little bit further. Uh, we'll finish up Chapter 2, and then we'll dive right into Chapter 3. And tonight's topic is the release of the anointing. And I need you to, to, to really, really have done the work that I asked you to do last week, and I, you thought I wasn't going to mention this, but I did ask you to go back and Read uh, Chronicles 27 and 28, First Chronicles 27 and 28. Good evening. How are you doing? Um, because I wanted you not to just walk away from uh, the conversation last week um, thinking that, okay, and then just Solomon ascended to the throne. But instead, I wanted you to see the discussions that went on between David and Solomon as well as um, the insight that he was given by his father and also to see that, you know, David, to the day he died, was a worshiper. I I just didn't want us to walk away from David with, and he died. No, there's more to it than that. So with that said, before we pray, before we pray and jump right into the lesson tonight, I need you to push your share button. That's right. I'll remember that again. Push the share button. We have got to spread the gospel. We've got to get folks used to getting back in their Bibles and instead of going to worldly sources for advice, get them going back to God. This is Christians I'm talking about. And then the non-Christians that are out there who have yet to give their life to Christ, we want them to just be invited in so they'll see what's going on and get some word in them. You know, it's by hearing the word of God that, what does it say? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When the word of God gets to a person who does not know God, they become active. And that's what I want, their faith becomes activated in them. And then they get a chance to make a decision. And we want them making a decision. And when you experience God, you know what you do. You know what you did. When you, when you finally came upon the word of God, you heard what God was saying to you and how he loved you so much, what did you do? You got with it. Amen? So that's what we want them to have the opportunity to do too. So anyway, let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to dive right into the lesson. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you, to bless you, to praise you, to glorify your name. Oh, how we love you. Oh, how we praise you. Oh, how we bless you. Father, you are a good and great God. And we can come to you and we can ask you for whatever it is that we need. 
And tonight we need a word from on high. We need a word that we can understand. We need a word that is actionable. We don't need a history lesson, God. We need something that will help us right now in our walk with you. And we know that you will supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory. So we thank you and we praise you for supplying our, our spiritual needs by giving us spiritual food through your word. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, turn with me to First uh, Kings so we can pick up right where we left off. And we left off. We left off last week, and um, he had just told, um, uh, he had just fulfilled his word with um, by by transferring the priesthood over to Zadok, and and we talked about where that when he said it was going to happen. We we talked about that last week, so. because you remember, Adonijah came and he tried to, you know, steal the kingdom again. And Solomon said, "I've had enough of this foolishness. Kill him." And then he goes back and he he tells Abiathar, "You know, you was in on all of this mess, and so you are out of the priesthood. You go back to Anathoth and you stay there because you're no longer in the priesthood." And he appoints Zadok as the priest, and that was a prophecy that was given to Eli. Um, back when, uh, even before, before even Saul got on the throne, and when the ark, all it was all in First Samuel. Read First Samuel, and you'll get it all there. Because I, I, I'll get hung up telling y'all that story, and then I waste the time that I should be doing something else. Go back and read it. I'm, I'm driving y'all into y'all word tonight. Okay, so now he's dealt with Abiathar. Remember, these were all threats to his anointing. These were all things that would that would have knocked him off the path that God had placed him on. Now uh, he's dealt with Joe. He's going to deal with Joab now. No, excuse me. He dealt with Joab. We dealt with Joab last week too, because Joab went and grabbed the horns of the altar. And remember, we talked about what those horns of the altar represented. That represented the place of mercy. But since Joab, since Joab was not in a place where he can receive mercy because he had shed innocent blood and grabbing a hold to the horns of the altar or going to a sanctuary city was only for unintentional murders or unintentional killing, taking of life. But Joab was willful. Joab was guilty of first-degree murder. And so Solomon says, oh, no. My daddy didn't deal with it, but I'm going to deal with it now. And so he has him, he, t- he tells him, kill him. So now we're at verse 36 of chapter 2. And I'm going to just, this part is real self-explanatory. I'm just going to go right through it, okay? Verse 36, chapter 2. Then the king sent and summoned Shimei and said to him, Build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there, and do not go out from there to any place Whatever, for on the day you go out and cross the brook Kidron, know for certain that you shall die. Your blood shall be on your own head. And Shimei said to the, the king, what you say is good. As my lord the king has said, so will your servant 
do. So Shimei lived in Jerusalem many days. But it happened at the end of three years that two of Shimei's servants ran away to Akish, son of Makkah, king of Gath. And when it was told Shimei, Behold, your servants are in Gath, Shimei arose and saddled a donkey and went to Gath to Achish to seek his servants. Shimei went and brought his servants from Gath. And when Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and returned, the king sent and summoned Shimei and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and solemnly warn you, saying, Know for certain that on the day you go out and go to any place, whatever, you shall die? And you said to me, What you say is good, I will obey. Why then have you not kept your oath to the Lord and the commandment with which I commanded you? The king also said to Shimei, You know in your own heart all the harm that you did to David my father, so the Lord will bring back your harm on your own head. (coughs) But King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. Then the king commanded Benaniah, the son of Jehodiah, and he went out and struck him down, and he died. So the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. Now, what happened? So Shimei had cursed David when David was fleeing the city Jerusalem from Absalom during Absalom's revolt. Now, to curse a king was against the law, and you were subject to die for it. But because of the political unrest during that time, David allowed Shimei to live because Shimei was from Benjamin, and the last thing he needed was Benjamin coming at him when he was trying to bring back stability to the kingdom and hold the kingdom together. We talked about what a curse was last week, so I'm not going to go back through that, but I will say that a curse is something where you're calling down a deity to do something harmful to another person. And so what he was asking God to do was God to do something bad to David. Now, why did Solomon tell Shimei to build himself a house in Jerusalem? Solomon wanted to keep an eye on him. Now, Shimei was a property owner in the land of Benjamin. Benjamin was a powerful tribe. And if, in fact, Shimei uh, was allowed to stay over there, there was a possibility that Shimei could stir up some mess over there and bring political unrest during the time as during the time when Solomon was still ascending and defending his throne because he was not secure in the, on the throne yet. You still had people that was looking at him saying, mm-hmm, that's David's boy. Let him turn his back. We'll get him. But to, to so he wants him close. He wants him where I can, I, as they say, I want you where I can see you. And so, Shimei has to leave his his property. He has to leave his estate, leave his holdings in the care of somebody else. Well, you know what happens when you leave your stuff to somebody else. 
They never do with it what you want them to do. They're going to do it their way. And now he sees that he hears that some of his servants have run off and gone to the king of Gath, or gone over to the Philistines. And so he says, oh, no, 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 I'm about to lose everything I got. And so he leaves and to go and re to reclaim his property. And Solomon finds out about it. And Solomon's and you know, look at where he goes. He goes to one of the enemies. He goes to one of the enemies of Israel, to the Philistines. And you know that David has had to fight them and get them under control and he has them under subjection. But he does not want a problem. He doesn't want a conspiracy to to swell to well up with, but led by Shimei. So he says, "You know what? I'm gonna sleep good tonight. You gone." And so he deals with it. So what did he do? He dealt with the people that were talking against God and God's anointed. He dealt with the lawlessness within the land, and those were the two spirits that need to be dealt with even in your life. Lawless, people that are lawless and spirits that are lawless, that don't obey the, the word of the Lord, they got to be gone. People that speak against the word of God, they have to be gone. And we, again, we went through that last week, so I'm just glossing over it real good. But this is the final cleanup that he has to do. And so, with that said, now we can move into chapter 3. And guess how chapter 3, well, it ends with, so uh, chapter 2 ends, so the kingdom was established. And I just want to say this. Even though you are dealing with those things, and even though you are secure walking in your anointing, it ain't over. The attack is not over because Satan deals subtly. When he recognizes that you understand his plan and that you are warring against him, you are resisting so you can walk and do the, the, the work of God, he's not going to like that. He doesn't like that at all. And so now he says, okay, you know what, i got to get him another way. Remember Jesus, 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness and all the temptation that he, he came? What does the word say? And the devil left him until a more convenient season comes along. So all along, the devil say, I can't get him this way. So I'm just going to take my time and I'm going to walk him down. And I'm going to get me some more help. And I'm going to stir up the Pharisee. And I'm going to stir up the Sadducee. And I'm going to stir up the Romans. Everybody's coming against this Jesus fellow. And watch what happens with Solomon. Chapter 3, verse 1. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. There's, two, there's, there's a lot there. Look at what Solomon does. Solomon, when he comes to a place of peace to further 
secure his place within the kingdom and the standing of Israel, he does what worldly kings do, and that is he forms an alliance by taking a daughter of Pharaoh in marriage. He becomes Pharaoh's son-in-law. Now, Pharaoh's Pharaoh is not worshiping God at all, but there's, there's some things that you should see behind the scenes that are happening. Egypt had been the number one power in the land up until that point, but now Egypt is in beginning a slow decline as a power. As a matter of fact, as Egypt declines, Assyria ascends, and Although this book does not, at this point in time, talk about that, that's what's happening behind the scenes. And so it is advantageous for Pharaoh to align themselves with this little state of Israel because between the Assyrians and Egypt, Israel can become a buffer. If they're friends with Israel... Israel can then serve as a, a, a kind of a kind of a, a cushion to help the king uh, thwart an attack from the Assyrians, and that's going to that's going to happen years later. But this is what this, this is kind of some of the background of everything. The other thing, and I, I'm, I'm not going to go into it, but you know it was against the law for them to marry foreign women. But yet Solomon takes it, does this. How does this impact his anointing? We're not going to talk about that now, but you already know. Because the Bible tells us to be not unequally yoked with the unrighteous. And this was, this marriage, wasn't, although it was one of convenience, it was one that, that will lead Solomon into a world of trouble. So let's, let's keep going. Verse 3. Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statues of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And that's the second time we've heard that word, high places. What is the high places? The high places are mountains, hills, um, elevations, where the people went to sac make sacrifices to the gods. Later you'll see uh, lots of times where... Um, they're saying where they say, but he sacrificed in the high places. That means that he is, it is a, these places up until Solomon builds the temple are, are authorized places of worship if, as long as you were worshiping God. But once um, Solomon builds that temple and establishes Jerusalem as the place where God put, puts his name and this is the place of worship, then they should not be going to those high places to worship. Now Solomon, he goes to the high place, but he's going to worship God. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Let me stop for a second. On that altar. Now, one of the things that you'll find out by reading over in uh, Chronicles is this, that David had brought the ark of the Lord 
into the city of Jerusalem. Remember when David sought to bring the ark in and um, Uzziah got killed because he because uh, they, they they didn't bring the, they didn't handle the ark the right way, and now uh, and then David danced himself out of his clothes because he went back and he did it according to the word of the Lord and he had the priest carry the ark in like they were supposed to versus pulling it on a cart. Remember that and how he danced out of his clothes. Well, David has brought the ark back, but he didn't bring the tent of meeting. And so the tent was in Gibeon, and the tent was where um, Solomon went to meet with the Lord and offer sacrifices. So he goes, he, he makes a special trip to go and offer sacrifices to God because he's walking in the way of the Lord as best he knows how. And as he, as he walks and as he worships, it says, and the king went to, I'm at verse 4, and the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, David, servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to come out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? So Solomon asked him for a, now in this version, in the ESV version, it says an understanding mind. But in the King James Version, in the New American Standard Version, it says give him a discerning heart, a heart that is discerning. So what Solomon is asking for is he's asking for spiritual discernment. He wants to he wants a heart that is able to hear. Solomon is asking God. He says, Look, I'm walking I'm trying to do what my father did to walk upright before you, but but I'm going to need a hearing heart. I'm going to need a heart that is connected to you, that is con uh, my inner man to be connected to you, my spirit to be connected to you so I can hear what you are saying. And not only do I need to hear what you are saying, but I need to understand what you are telling me to do and then know how to do it. 
That's what you need. You see, as you walk in your anointing, you need the same thing that Solomon asked for. He says, God, I want my heart to be connected to you. I want to be able to hear in my inner man what you're saying. You see, a lot of us have what we call worldly wisdom. A lot of us are able to discern things based on what we see in the natural. But to walk in your anointing, to properly walk in your anointing, you've got to hear in your spirit man what God is saying, but not only be able to hear what he's saying, but to understand what he's saying and know how to execute it. You see, um, because what what, what what will you be able to see when you get spiritual discernment, when you have a discerning heart? Well, you'll be able to see good from evil. You see, a lot of times, in the natural, something looks really good. But behind that is a face. Behind that is a spirit that we who are walking in the natural can't see. But God reveals things to those who are connected to him and allows them to know, to be able to discern the difference between good and evil, the difference between right and wrong. He allows them to discern events. He allows them to distinguish between spirits, between true prophets and false prophets. Look at uh, Proverbs 15 and 21. Let's look at it real quick. Proverbs 15, 21. Look at this. Look at this. Folly is a joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding, a man of discernment, walks straight ahead. When you have a discerning spirit, when you have a discerning heart, you are able to know the way to go, how to walk the straight and narrow path. Look at Philippians 1, 9, and 10. Write these down. You go back and, and, and you know, there. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So what we need this discernment for, what we want this discernment for, is that we can prove what is pure, what is excellent, what is right, what is wrong for us and for those whom we are asked to lead. You see, unless you have spiritual discernment, you will walk into a lot of traps. And because you are the anointed of God, guess what? It's not only you that are walking in that trap, but you're leading others into the trap. And so it is important that we who are anointed ask like, like, like a... a um, Solomon asked, Lord, you've given me an awesome responsibility. 
You have kept your word to your to your uh, to David. You have put me in this place. You have made me a pastor. You have made me a mother. You have made me uh, a manager on this job. You have made me a leader. You have made me an example to people in high places. Now, give me a discerning heart so that I can serve you through leading these great people, through doing what you have called me to do. Amen? Do you see where we're going with this? Now, let's keep going. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. I now do according to what you have asked me to do. Now, I'm going to set something up real quick, in there, and then we're going we're gonna to run. When you ask God for something, why are you asking? Are you asking because you are connected and want to serve him, or are you asking for a reward? Turn to James chapter 4 real quick. Because James talks about this a little bit, the purpose of asking. And, you know, we have the privilege when we are connected, when we are doing like Solomon, and I'm going to get to this, okay? I'm going to I'm get to that in just a second. But James talks about bad connections and bad motives. And what, what he's saying right here, what the Lord is saying, what God is saying back to Solomon is, hmm, I see you are really trying to walk up right before me, and you're really trying to walk in your anointing. Look at James chapter 4 real quick. Look, at, look, look, look. James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passion, passions are at war within you? You desire... And do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Look at what he look at this passage real quick. Okay, in relationship to what we are are, are learning about Solomon, 
Solomon is connected to God, and he says, look, for purposes of my anointing, I need to ask you for a discerning spirit. For purposes of your anointing, what are you asking God for? Or, more importantly, what are you asking God for? Are you asking him for stuff that you want, or are you asking for him for things that you need to accomplish his purpose? Now, he don't mind us having stuff, but when stuff becomes your priority, you see, then what you're going to do is you're laying up treasure that thieves can steal and moths can eat up. Mm-hmm. And that's not the treasure that God wants us to live. Those are not things that God wants us to lust after. But instead, he wants us to come after him. He wants us to desire him. He wants us not to be connected to a car, but to be connected to him. And look at what it says right here. Wait, 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 hold on. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And when you look at that in the Greek, it says, when you make friends with the world, you make yourself an ambassador of evil. You make yourself an enemy of God because you are now the devil's ambassador. You no longer represent God. You are representing the devil. But look at verse 5. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, that God is desirous of you, and that when you make yourself a friend of the world, you provoke God because he has placed his spirit within you, and that spirit belongs to him. It does not belong to the world. Do you see what I'm saying here? And so when you when you when you when you say you know I gotta have this car or I gotta have this position or this is my priority getting ahead in the world because I want to be seen by the world what are you doing you're tell, you're basically saying you know what I'm gonna be friends with the world and push God to the side and so you say all this lusting and stuff. That's why you that's why you get nothing because you're asking amiss, as the King James version says. You know, um, go to John. You see, because I don't want you to, I don't want you to stop praying and I don't want you to stop asking. But look, look at John 15 real quick. I'm getting there. I'm gonna get there because we're talking about the release of the anointing. Amen. It says John chapter 15, verse nine. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, stop right there. What was Solomon doing? He was keeping the commandments. He was worshiping God. He had given himself wholly over to God and the anointing that comes with it. You, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, 
that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, anointed you, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that, watch this, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. When you are connected to God and walking in his word, you can ask. What, what do you mean I can ask? Him? Well, because now it's not you that are asking for your will to be done, but you are asking according to the spirit of God that is in you so his will can be done. You are connected. What is Solomon praying for? He's praying to be connected to God so he can understand what God wants him to do, so he can understand how to walk in his anointing, so he can understand how to do what God has called him to do, so he can hear what God is saying at all times. And God's response to that is, you can ask what you will and I'll do it. And look, look, not only will I do it, but watch this. It pleased the Lord, verse 10, First King, chapter 3, verse 10. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. So immediately when he wakes up, he goes back to Jerusalem, and he begins to offer up sacrifices in front of the ark. Hmm. Don't have time to go into that tonight, but I do want to go back to James real quick, okay? Because what did, what did God do? God told him, he said, you know what? He said, since you want to be connected to me, since you want to do my will, since you are asking me for that which you need to accomplish my purpose, I'm going to give it to you. And not only am I giving that to you, but I'm going to give you what you didn't ask for. Didn't he say that? What does James say again? Go back to James real quick, real quick, because I'm, I'm out of time already. I'm, a little, I'm more than a little bit over. And I know that some of you might be saying, you said 30 minutes. I did. I know. 
Every now and then I, I stretch it a little bit. Go back to James chapter 4, verse 10, 410. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Humble yourself before the Lord. Bow before the Lord. Bow to the plan of God, and let him decide when to exalt you. How? When is the anointing released? The anointing is released in God's time. When God is ready for you to ascend to a place or when God is ready to do something with you, that's when it's going to be released. And the day of Pentecost came and they were all in one place at one time. They were all in that upper room. They were all in a position of worship. They were all in a position of prayer. And the time came for the release of God's spirit to accomplish God's purpose. That's when the anointing is. And what we have to do as his anointed is keep ourselves in a position to receive the release of God's anointing. In his time. Mm -hmm. And it will happen over and over and over and over again. As we stay humble, as we stay in line with his word, as we ask God continuously for uh, the ability to stay connected to him and to have a heart, an inner man that hears from him and understands what he's saying. That's tonight's lesson. That's what Solomon did. And it pleased God. And it pleased God. God says, you know what? Since you weren't worried about your Mercedes, since you weren't worried about that five-bedroom house, since you weren't asking me for, you know, promotion on jobs and positions and to be in the spotlight and to be the bishop of this and the archbishop of that and the leader of this and the leader of that. Since all you ask me for is to be connected to me and to do my will, I'm going to let you be connected to me. I'm going to not only let you be connected to me, but I'm going to do some stuff that I know you didn't ask me for, but just because I want to give it to you. Because God desires to bless his children. Amen? So, think about that. Um, do me a favor. Next week, I want you to keep reading uh, along with me. But I want you to do something. Read Psalms 119. Read Psalms 119. It's a very, very long psalm. I think it's got like 150 verses or something like that. But I want you to read and pray over Psalms 119. Okay? I think it's going to show you some wonderful things about how to walk in your anointing, how to keep yourself clean, and how to how to keep yourself ready to be used by God. Psalms 119. Let's pray and let's call it a night. If you got any questions, uh, ask your questions uh, after prayer, and we'll and we'll continue on. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. We bless you and we praise you. We magnify your name, for you are good and your mercy endures forever. 
We thank you, God, that you release your anointing when we're ready, when you're ready. But we know that the the environment for the release has to be that we're walking with you by obeying you, not doing our own thing, but instead seeking after you, wanting to be connected to you, wanting to hear in an innermost man, asking, oh God, for a discerning spirit so we can distinguish right from wrong, so we don't get caught up in all of these traps that down through the years we've watched people and entire congregations and entire denominations get caught up in. We don't want to follow false prophets, but instead, God, our hearts are for you. And we just want you. Lord, we just want you. Oh, God. We thank you and we praise you. We ask tonight, God, for you. We just want you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, yeah. Read and pray Psalms 119. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, well, that's all I have for you tonight. Um, I pray that God will give each of us a discerning heart. Bless you in Jesus' name. This has been Pastor Winfred Burns with the Word on Wednesday. And I will see you, God willing, in the creek don't rise next week. And we'll continue in this chapter. Bless you now. Bye-bye.